The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning's text is found in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We continue this morning in our series through the Gospel of Luke, and I hope it's not lost on you that, that as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus. We've been coming face to face with Jesus. We see him speaking and acting and healing and loving and changing the lives of those who trust in him. And so, like the Apostle John says in his gospel, he says, these things have been written so that you might believe and have life in Jesus' name. The same is true here. We're walking through Luke, seeing Jesus, praying to see Jesus, that Jesus would stand forth from his word that we would believe and have life in him. And, and I say that, it sounds like I'm just speaking to people that don't believe in Jesus. It's not true. Yes, I'm speaking to people who don't believe in Jesus, but I'm speaking to those of us who do, that we would continue to believe in him and we would continue to have life in him and abide in him and remain in him and persevere in faith all the way to the end. So, I... I I, I love walking through Luke with you and seeing Jesus again and again and again and again and uh, pray that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear him and believe him and rest in him and treasure him and love him anew. You know, I say that because we have to admit that we have thoughts about Jesus that are uninformed or we have preconceived notions about him that we might want him to be this way and we look into his word and we find out, well, he's, he's not exactly the way we might have wanted him to be. But uh, as we behold him in his word, we trust that he's freeing us from those idolatrous thoughts that would create a false Jesus with no hope and no joy and no power. He pushed those away and riveted us on the living Christ himself. So our text today in Luke 5 is, is the account of when Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, to himself. And what we see there is I'm calling it three things related to Jesus 
in his saving call. I'll give you, this is my outline. Uh, Number one, the call of Jesus is for sinners. And really, this relates to the fact that Jesus' mission is to call sinners to himself. So point number one, the call of Jesus is for sinners. Point number two, the call of Jesus is irresistible. Point number three, the call of Jesus is costly. So those are the three points. Call of Jesus is for sinners, it's irresistible, and it's costly. Let me pray. Father in heaven now, once again we ask you for grace. By the work of your spirit and the power of your word, cause your son to stand forth from your word, alive, risen from the dead with life-changing power. At work in history and at work in our lives today, in this church and in this city. All for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now point number one. The call of Jesus is for sinners. And admittedly, this is the longest section of the three points that I have because it's got three points underneath it. In, in, this, in this section, under this heading, the call of Jesus is for sinners, <laughs> Not only does Jesus demonstrate this twice, but then he comes right out at the end of the passage and says, this is the purpose for which I've come. So what I want you to see in in this section, saying the call of Jesus is for sinners, is first how he demonstrates that in the calling of Levi and how he demonstrates that in going to the feast at Levi's house with all the tax collectors, and then how he just flat out says it plainly, in response to the Pharisees' question. So now, let's look at the calling of Levi. So Luke's account, if I combine Luke's account with Matthew's and Mark's, here's the picture. Jesus is in in Capernaum, and he's going from place to place in his teaching ministry, and he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd is following him, and he goes past Levi, the tax collector, sitting at his tax booth. And I've read that this tax booth would be a platform with a chair on it by the side of the road. And it's probably a main road, perfect for collecting taxes from people as they come in and out of town. And uh, you know, I just was imagining myself so walking along the road, and there's this tax collector right here, and I would think everything in me would say, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Don't don't let him look at you. He has the power and authority to make your life miserable. (laughs) Just avoid him. I'll tell you why I say that. Let me tell you a few basic things about tax collectors in Jesus' day. I've got one, two, three, four of them. Tax collectors were considered traitors. Because they worked for the Roman Empire. They were, they were private contractors who, who would make a bid to the Romans. You know, get the idea. They'd, have, they'd say, here's a district. So I, I'm a wannabe tax collector. And I say to the Romans, I can get this much tax money for you out of that people. And then somebody else comes along with a higher bid. I can get this much. And so that's how they got their job. They they bid for the authority to raise taxes from a certain district or a certain area. And, uh, I mean, just in that, you can hear the pressure is on more. 
The higher, the better for the tax collector and the worse for the people and the better for the Romans. They're considered traitors. I mean, the, the taxes Levi collected, this is probably not like a population tax, like a poll tax. It's, it's a duty tax, a toll tax, like sales tax, import tax, export tax, uh, taxes for using the roads, taxes on merchandise, taxes for wheels on your wagon. I even read that there were taxes on how many letters were on your sign. They were considered traitors because they taxed the people of Israel and they gave the money to the Roman Empire. Secondly, they were, they were considered greedy for their own profit. And you can hear it almost implicit because not only are they pushing for higher taxes on the people, but whatever money they raised beyond the amount they had promised to give to the Romans was theirs to take home. It was to fill their own pockets. So... They overcharged people in order that they would become wealthy themselves. Not only that, but they were considered wicked, thieves, evil. They were not opposed to using extortion or the threat of enforcers like Roman soldiers or others to extract payment. They were considered wicked. Record-keeping was iffy. There's no computers. When the tax man says, you owe, you owe. And due to their routine dishonesty, their testimony in court was unadmissible. And these people are liars. And here's one reference I, I found. This, this reference said, quote, a tax collector could stop anyone on the road and make him unpack his bundles and charge just about anything his larcenous heart desired. If the traveler could not pay, the tax collector would offer to loan him money at an exorbitant fee. And lastly, tax collectors were generally hated. They're hated. Viewed as the worst of the worst sinners. Well, knowing this about the tax collectors, verse 27 says this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And I just love the little word saw. He saw him. He saw him. Just think of eyeball to eyeball. Jesus sees Levi. And he knows Levi. He did not walk by, but Jesus says to him, verse 27, follow me. So all I want you to see right there is Jesus displaying that he has come to call sinners by calling Levi. Follow me. Second point in this heading Jesus demonstrates that he's come to call sinners by feasting with the tax collectors. You know, so, I mean, just immediately, verse 28, Levi gets up to follow Jesus, and what does he do? The first thing he does is, uh, here it is, verse 29, Levi made him a great feast in his house. 
And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And so, surprise, surprise, you know, Levi doesn't have any friends, <laughs> but colleagues, fellow tax collectors. So when Levi wants to throw a party in honor of his following, uh, in honor of Jesus, because he's, now he's following Jesus, this is in Jesus' honor, he throws a party in his house, in his, I don't know if I should say mansion, in his really nice house with really good food. He invites all his friends. Bunch of tax collectors fill the house. <laughs> and, you know, you got to think if you're one of the disciples. So, get the picture. So, Jesus is in Levi's house, full of tax collectors. Jesus is there with his disciples. And just imagine if you're one of the disciples sitting there going, how in the world did we get ourselves in this place? This is not natural. I am eating and drinking with with uh, uh, tax collectors and talking and laughing with me? How, how did this happen? I don't have anything in common with these people, do I? Or do I? We're here because we're following Jesus. That's why we're here. Maybe I have more in common with them than I think. So right there, I just want you to see Jesus not only demonstrates that he has come to call sinners by calling Levi, but he also demonstrates that he has come to call sinners by going to this banquet full of tax collectors with his disciples. He's come for this purpose, to call people like this to himself. And he's going to say it in my next point, crystal clear. When the Pharisees and scribes found out about this, they came and they asked Jesus' disciples, which is interesting. They don't come up right up to Jesus. They say to one of the disciples, you know, like Peter or Andrew or John or James, hey, uh, here it is, verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus intercepted that question so the disciples didn't have to answer it. And he answers it himself, verse 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Just as it is with healthy people not needing a doctor, so righteous people don't need Christ, right? Sick people need a doctor. Sinners need Christ. That's why we eat with sinners and tax collectors. Sinners need Christ, like the sick need a doctor. Okay? In verse 32, Jesus says it crystal clear. The reason he came, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Explains what he's showing in the call of Levi. Explains why he's sitting at the banquet with the tax collectors. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, think about that sentence. I get the last part. I've come to call sinners to repentance. 
But what about the first part? I have not come to call the righteous. Does he mean that that there are people in this world who are righteous apart from grace? And they're good, and they really don't need him. No, that's not what he means. The Bible is crystal clear. There are no righteous people on earth apart from the grace of the gospel. I mean, it's crystal clear. Because of the fall of Adam, the taint of human sinfulness touches every aspect of humanity. We call it total depravity. And it's not that we're as, as, that everybody's as bad as they could be, but that everything about us, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our nature, are all tainted with sin, like a, like a cancer that's metastasized. I mean, the Bible says it clearly so many places. Genesis 6, after the fall of Adam, God, upon seeing the wickedness of humanity, says this, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Romans 3.10, quoting from Psalm 14, says, No one is righteous, no, not one. Psalm 53 says, There is none who does good, not even one. Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So what does Jesus mean here in saying that he does not, he has not come to call the righteous? I mean, there's only one person that's righteous on planet Earth, and it's Jesus. So it's like a category with nobody in it. I have not come to call the righteous, because there aren't any. But I've come to call sinners to faith and repentance. What Jesus is doing here is exposing the sinful tendency of the human heart to believe that we are not sinners. That we don't need Jesus because we, we haven't sinned. It's, it's like believing that we're healthy when we have terminal cancer. And if we believe that we're healthy when we have terminal cancer, we avoid the oncologist who has the cure for our terminal cancer because we don't think we need him. I'm not sick. I have no need of a doctor. This is part of our sickness. This is part of our sinfulness. To think that we're righteous when we're not. I mean, this is so common to the human experience. We are, we are, we are, we are wired to be self-justifiers of our own goodness. We, we often do it by creating our own list of righteousness, and we often do it by, by comparing ourselves to others. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. A survey done by LifeWay, found that two-thirds of Americans agreed that most people are good by nature, even though everybody sins a little bit. Kind of a nobody's perfect sort of a 
saying, but I'm pretty good. And then three quarters of Americans did not see their sins as putting them in any spiritual danger under the judgment of God. This means that most people do not believe that we're sinners. Most people believe they're healthy when we're not. When we're blind to the fact that all have sinned, and in fact, we're blind to the fact that all of us as sinners need Christ, the doctor. That's what Jesus is putting his finger on. The tendency of the human heart to falsely believe that we're righteous and we don't need him. It's not true. So, the sum of point number one. The call of Jesus is for sinners. That's why he came. Jesus came to call sinners to faith and repentance. Point number two, the call of Jesus is effective. It's effective. The word, the word call is used in many ways. There's so many ways to, to use that little simple word, but I want you to key in on two ways that the Bible uses it uh, in the New Testament. The one I'd call a general call, and uh, I'd use that word to describe these kinds of callings of Jesus. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Uh, John 3.16, the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. Whoever believes in Christ, in me, will have eternal life. Whoever believes. A general call would be the call of Peter at Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And some hear that general call and believe And some hear that general call and don't believe. Jesus explains when he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 14. And so in that use of the word called, Jesus is saying, many are called. There's a general call of the gospel that goes forth. And some believe and some don't believe. And those who believe are the few that have been chosen. So my point is just to get that. There is a general gospel call that goes out to all the world and says, whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Believe in him. And some believe and, and some don't. But there's another kind of call in the New Testament. And it's not a general call. It's a specific call. It's a targeted call, and it's an effective call. Jesus saw Levi. He walked up to him, and he said, follow me. And immediately, Levi got up and followed Jesus. What was that? That was effectual call. That was effectual call. Jesus did the same thing with Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Quote, immediately they left their nets and followed him. He did the same thing with James and his brother John. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
this theology calls this the effectual call, the irresistible call of, of God. It's, it's like, I mean, I really do believe that we have been on this string of Luke just showing us the authority of Jesus over sickness and over death and over the devil and over people. Peter, Andrew, John, James, Levi. It's, it's like when Jesus called to the fever, be gone, and it obeyed. When Jesus said to the demons, get lost, and they obeyed. When Jesus will speak to the storm, and it gets calm, boom. Jesus says to the dead, Lazarus, come out. He comes out. Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And he gets up and follows. That's effectual call. That's the reason that any of us believe. Because in God's sovereign grace, we heard the general call, but in the general call, there was an effectual call. A call empowered by God with his grace to enable us to believe and respond. Praise God. Peter refers to this even at Pentecost, after the general call, when he says this. He says, the promise is for you. The general call is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls effectually to come. So, just praise God for this effectual call by which he calls us through the gospel to Christ and he enables us by his power to believe, to follow, to respond in faith to Jesus. One more text to put the effectual call in the context Romans 8.30 talks about it this way. Those whom God predestined, he called. This effectual call has its roots in God's sovereign predestining work to save his elect, to save his people, to save his chosen ones. And I praise God for it. And I'm telling you, this is the hope that we have for all, for our, not only for our own souls, but for everyone that we know, that we love, that doesn't believe yet. Right? We don't pray, Lord, make me smart enough to convert them. I mean, you can pray that you'd be smart enough, but you're not going to convert them. You might pray, Lord, make them smart enough to find you. As Pray. Lord Jesus, call my friend, my brother, my loved ones, my co-workers with this effectual call like you do with Levi. Follow me. Boom. The call of Jesus is effectual. It's effective. Point number three. 
The call of Jesus is costly. You know, Jesus says, follow me. Levi immediately follows, and the call was not only irresistible, but it was costly. Verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything. The call of Jesus is costly. Following Jesus meant leaving behind everything, his whole way of life, leaving behind his job and the potential for almost unlimited wealth. He left behind his power and control over other people. Mm, I can make them tremble. He left behind his lavish lifestyle and his big house and his great banquets and his fancy clothes. And he left behind whatever family he had as secondary, secondary to the call of Jesus. And more generally, he left behind his life of sin and unbelief and rebellion against God. He repented and turned to follow Jesus in faith and trust because he believed in the person and the promise of Jesus. It was costly. Leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. We're going to see this in Luke 9. Actually, we're going to see it in several places throughout the Gospel of Luke where Jesus talks about the cost of following him. Here's one that's coming in Luke 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Levi obviously did not consider the cost of leaving everything burdensome or terrible because one of the first things he does is throws a party in honor of Jesus for whom he's giving up everything. <laughs> Invites all his friends. I'm sure you know Although I've not said it yet. I, I've worked really hard not to call Levi Matthew yet. <laughs> Levi, the tax collector, is Matthew the tax collector. It's common to have two names. Matthew, the, the author of the first gospel, the writer. And he, he is so humble. In, in, you know, there's only two of the four gospels written by apostles. The apostle John gives you these clues where he is. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved. Matthew... He's just so humble. I think he's only, you can only find him in two places. One is when he describes this account, talking about Matthew, the tax collector, how Jesus called him. And the other place is in the list of the disciples where he calls himself Matthew, the tax collector, as one of the disciples. I love that. One of the parables unique to Matthew 
There's a few, I mean, there's more than one parable that's unique in, in Matthew, but one of them that I thought I'd read, I think will give you insight into this leaving everything, throwing a banquet dynamic that's going on in Matthew. This cost. Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Get it? This is what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. So Jesus came to me, Levi would say, and he said, follow me. And I left everything I had with joy to gain Jesus, to follow him. And you know what? I threw a party in order to celebrate with all my friends that I have given up everything for Jesus. It's costly, but it's worth it. So I need to close. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has come and is calling sinners to himself, even to this day. And, and, and if you're here, I mean, I know there are people here that, that don't know Jesus. It happens. I hear about it. People, you tell me. If you're here this morning and you think you don't need, need Jesus, you're deluded. You're like the sick person who thinks you don't need a doctor. Jesus has come to wake you up and call you to himself in faith and repentance. And I pray that God opens your eyes. <laughs> you know what I pray? I pray that in God's sovereign grace, Christ would see you right now. See you. Look at you. He knows you. And he would speak to you, effectually calling you, follow me, and give you grace to follow Jesus, believe, and receive him. His call is effectual, it enables what he commands, faith in him. It's sovereign and it's kind and it's gracious and it is not of our own doing. And his call is costly. Jesus is calling all of us to take up our crosses and follow him. That we would leave everything behind as secondary compared to the greater treasure of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And then all things would be in, its, in their proper places and he would be exalted and worshipped as God. And we would find fullness of joy in him and not in these other treasures, but in the treasure of Christ. One more thought to close with. I thought about One of the corporate 
implications of a, a text like this is we worship in downtown Minneapolis. And I mean, some people look at Minneapolis and say, why would you ever go there? Oh, it's just, it's sinful. It's full of sinners. And sure, the city is full of sinners because that's the only kind of people that there are. And of course, there are some sinners who believe that they're righteous. But Jesus came to call sinners. And I'm just glad we're here. I'm glad we gathered downtown. I'm glad for the connections that we have with, with neighbors block away across the street through different ministries like, like Jericho Road. I pray that we would have more. I'm glad we're here for the, for the walk-ins that we get. And I'm, I'm glad for the scatter that we represent as well. Jesus came to call sinners. And he calls them through us. Here where we worship, in our neighborhoods, where we live, where we scatter, in our families, in our workplaces. He's given us a mission to be his means to bring the gospel to, to them the sinners. God has many people in this city to whom he will send us with the gospel in our mouths and the power of God's effectual, sovereign, gracious call behind us. And when we speak, let's pray that God would move and call. Follow me to the praise of his glorious grace. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we scatter. I'm glad we're on this mission to join Jesus in calling not the righteous, but sinners to himself. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. There's so many aspects of this text that are beautiful and compelling, and there's so many aspects of this text that are challenging. We praise you for your sovereign grace in our lives, and we pray that we would extend your sovereign grace, your call to others. We pray against being like the the Pharisees who look at others as sinners and yet we do not see the sin in our own hearts. We pray to be like Jesus and the disciples who go talk, converse, dine, fellowship with our unbelieving friends and neighbors and family members that you might use us to call people to Christ. So, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for standing forth. We love you and trust you. Keep us in your grace.
and work for the glory of your name in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.